listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Started this morning. If you're new here, we want you to know how welcome you are. I'm Rusty, one of the pastors here, along with Luke and Jared. And Jared's away on vacation this week, so if you're looking for him, you'll have to come to either Luke or myself this, this evening, or this morning, that is. I got my days turned upside down. And so that's actually a good start for this sermon. <laughs> because we're going to talk about weakness. I didn't do that on purpose, but we are going to talk about weakness and brokenness. But again, if you're new, we are glad you're here. And we want to be able to connect with you after this service and talk to you more about what it means to be a part of Fellowship Bible Church. And so if you're interested in learning more about our missional communities or the way that we seek to live on mission together, again, really do come and talk to Luke or myself, and we'd be willing to answer any of your questions. But we continue in our series on the emotionally healthy life. And you may be wondering, what in the world is that all about? But as we think about what it means to be disciples of Jesus, as those who grow in the likeness of the one who came to rescue us and redeem us and call us back to the life that God intended for us to have, then we have to be willing to look at the emotions that we live with. Because every one of us in here are emotional people. Whether your emotion is to shut down and to show no emotion, or whether your emotion is to grow crazy, yell, throw stuff and cuss, whatever it is. We are people who live with a world of emotions that's going on beneath the surface and sometimes on the outside. And so we have to learn what it means to submit that to Jesus. And we've, we've looked at the fact that Jesus was someone who lived with the full range of human emotions and yet lived with those submitted to the Father. And we also looked at how our past can affect the way that we engage with who we are and the life that we live around us. And this morning we're going to look at what it means to deal with the weaknesses that we have and how we can respond to those weaknesses either with pride or we can respond to those weaknesses with brokenness and vulnerability. So we're going to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning, if you'd turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll read verses 1 through 10 to begin. Now Paul here is speaking to this church who has questioned the fact that even if he is able to be a faithful messenger of the gospel. And so as he defends his ministry, he says these things. I must go on boasting. Though there's nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on, behalf, on, but on my own behalf I will not boast except of my own weaknesses. So we're seeing here Paul's talking about this extraordinary experience that this man has. And now he's letting us know this man is me. And so he goes on, though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming 
conceded. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Father, we really need your help this morning. I know that I do. To not just understand what these words you've given us mean, but to believe them in our hearts. Father, we confess we are people who like to run to our strengths and run from our weaknesses. Father, we confess that we are people who like to highlight the highlights of our life and we like to ignore and hide the hidden realities of our hearts. And so we just ask you, Holy Spirit, today that you would open our hearts to the truth of your love and power and grace that wants to work through the weaknesses that we live with. And we pray now for your help to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. One man tells the story of how he took his son to buy his first baseball glove. And you baseball players are going to know what I'm talking about this, and I'm not much of a baseball player but I think, I think you'll understand. He took his son to buy his first baseball glove. And so they went to the store, went down the aisle, and he told his son to pick out whatever glove that he wanted. And so his son, being a big Cardinals fan, went directly to the red glove. And he got this red glove that looked beautiful. And his son, he said, was just talking about how with this glove, Dad, I'm going to be able to make every stop. I'll be like a, a vacuum cleaner out there on the field. And so they got out there that summer and they started to work with the glove. And all of a sudden, as his son got down and imagined he was going to be taking up all these balls, every ball would just bounce out of his glove. And his dad realized, uh-oh, this is my fault. Because that glove that looked so beautiful was brand new. It was stiff. It was hard. So it looked beautiful... But it hadn't been broken in. And so he remembered there's a whole science to breaking in gloves. And some of you know more about this than me. Put certain types of oil on the glove. Set books on top of it. And I remember some of this stuff when I was younger. Tying it up in a ball. Wearing it and squeezing it over and over again. Because if that glove was going to be useful for the one who was to wield it for their service, it had to be weakened. It had to be broken. Because some things can look beautiful or they can actually be useful. And we are some of those things. We are some of those things. But what we often do is we run from weakness. We run from the feeling of God breaking us and molding us so that He might actually use us. 
We resist brokenness. We reject the realities that we don't have it all together. Whether it may be physical, relational, emotional, or spiritual, we think the weaknesses in our lives are the things that are meaningless, that are pointless, and that are powerless. But the gospel is good news that comes to the broken. The gospel is good news not only that comes to the broken, but it's good news that God wants to use through the broken. It's Jesus who told us, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's as if he is saying, blessed are the broken. Theirs is the kingdom of God. And this is what we see through God's word today, is that God does the most beautiful things through the most broken people. And we will see that it's only actually through people who become broken before God in their weakness that God actually does use to do His biggest things. Well, how do we do this? We do this when we embrace our weakness. And this is what we see in verses 1 through 8. We won't read every text again, but we see Paul could highlight all of his stats, couldn't he? He could highlight all of his great performances. He could talk about the fact that he had had this great experience with God where in some way he was called up to heaven and had this, this just unbelievable, un, this totally remarkable encounter with the truth of who God is. But he says, you know what? I don't want to talk about that. Paul's topic of choice is not his strength, but his weakness. Because Paul knew the reality of who he uh, was and didn't want to paint a picture other than someone who was totally dependent on God. So look again in verse 5. He says, On behalf of this man himself I could boast. I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except of my weaknesses. So if we were to go back and read through the rest of this book, we would see that this is what Paul is talking about, the way that he's been challenged, the way that he's been called a coward, the way that he's been called a counterfeit, the way that it's been revealed that he really wasn't the best speaker. He really wasn't the most dynamic leader. That there were others, many others, most others, who did everything better than him on paper. We all know the guy, don't we, who speaks at a conference or even the preacher who gets up and talks about how he has it all together. This wasn't Paul. Some of you guys know the guy at work, at break. You tell the story, and then what does he got to do? Oh, that's nothing. The one-upper. Some of you may be the one-upper. Paul could have been the ultimate one-upper is what he's saying. But instead, he embraced his weakness. This is a really, really hard sermon for me to speak on because this is a hard sermon for me to live out. I so wish this would have fell on Jared's week or Luke's week. Because I, I don't want to think about my weaknesses. I hate my weaknesses. And if you were to know me a little better then you would know that the guy up here preaching about all this is the guy that his wife will say, you make the most obvious and awkward changes of topic in conversation. She wants to start talking about something that I think is going to reveal a weakness in me, and so I will totally change the topic to something else. 
because I do not want to have to deal with the fact that I might be being exposed if this conversation continues to go down this road as someone who doesn't know, have it together, or can solve the problem. I'd rather be the guy who teaches the class on it than the guy who's the example of it. And that may be some of you this morning. You like to be the person who can say, this is how it's done. When Paul is saying, yeah, I do that, but I'm the guy who's so needy of God's grace. And this is a real need Paul has here. This isn't just, let's make up something so we can help the people who are actually struggling. No, notice verse 7. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited, proud, dependent on myself, thinking I have it all together because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, of the great experiences that God has let me be a part of. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So this was a a real problem. It was a thorn. And we, we don't know what this thorn was. There are several different options that you can conclude here, whether it's physical, whether Paul has bad eyesight, whether it's emotional, whether Paul continues to struggle about his place in ministry because of his past as one who was a murderer, as one who was a persecutor of the church, and yet now has all these people following around saying you shouldn't trust this guy, whether it was relational, whether it was missional, or whether it was all of the above, but we know it's legitimate. He says it torments him, and we know it's lasting. It's very easy for us, isn't it, to look back on a problem we had in our past and say, wasn't the Lord good? Now I can see what He was doing. It's a whole other thing for us in here to know tomorrow we're going to have to face it again. And next Monday we'll face it again. And the next Monday we will likely face it again. This is what Paul is talking about. Whatever your thorn may be in here this morning, whether it's some type of season of depression, whether it's some actual physical disability, or whether it's some sort of gifting deficiency. I just can't teach as well. I just can't serve as well. I just can't lead as well. I just am limited. And we have to face the fact that at certain times, these are not problems that are just going to go away. That in some cases, we just live with weaknesses. And it's hard. So we pray like Paul does in verse 8. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, and we'll go there in a second. Guess what? He doesn't say, okay. The answer is, Paul, that weakness, it's not going to change. Do you have a category for the Christian life that when God, you pray to God and ask Him to change a weakness in your life, He says, no. God, heal me of this disease or this disability. No. God, take away this deficiency of giftedness. No. God, take away this emotional struggle that I I don't want. The fact that I have to battle this every day. Sometimes he says yes. And we pray he does like Paul does again and again. 
And sometimes he gives another answer. When we bump up against a reality like this, it's when we have to decide whether our weakness will lead to brokenness or whether our weakness will lead to pride and bitterness. Some of you have heard of Johnny Erickson Tata, this lady who has written so many books and spoken in so many powerful ways the gospel. If you don't know her, I should have had a picture this morning. She was a lady who loved to swim. She was a lady who loved to hike. She was a lady who was very athletic. But one day, when she was in her her late teens, I believe, or early 20s, she went to dive into the Chesapeake Bay, but she misjudged the shallowness of the water, and she hit the bottom, and ever since then, she's been a paraplegic. In her time of recovery, she wrestled with depression, with anger, with bitterness towards God, with doubting everything she had ever believed. But in that time of weakness, she experienced God like never before and learned to paint by putting a brush in her teeth, by learning to write, by learning to love, by learning to accept God's answer as she prayed for healing continued to and continues to today, that at least for now, it's not going to change. You see, we can be weak without being broken, or we can be like Paul, or we can be like Johnny, and we can let our weakness lead to brokenness. But what so many of us do when we come up against that wall of our weakness is we run We despair. We bury our pain in some form of addictive behavior. And whether that may be drugs or whether that may be television or work, we say, I'm not going to deal with my weakness, my weakness that keeps flaring up in my marriage, so I'm just going out to the shop. I'm not going to deal with my weakness. I'm going to dive into another season of a show. Or others of us, instead of Fleeing from it, we fight against it. We become the people who are angry, who are bitter, who are sometimes violent, who blame others, who are always talking about how if it wasn't for everyone else. Others of us, we don't flee or fight, we hide, we deny, we fake. When we face our weakness on the inside, we're either angry or depressed, but we're the every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. But it's a game. We cover up how damaged, cracked, fractured, frail, and imperfect we are. But until we look our need in the face, we'll never grow. We'll never be able to hear what God says to Paul here, calling him not only to embrace his weakness, but to experience his grace. Notice verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What is being said here? God is telling Paul, here's the answer to your prayer. My grace is enough. I'm going to show you that my grace is enough. And this word of grace comes from the Savior. It comes from the Lord. Paul here is going to be talking about the power of Christ resting on him. Paul here is going to be talking about the Lord whom he once persecuted, but now whom he follows. 
And so you this morning might want to hear, I don't want to hear some preacher talk to me about pain and weakness in my life that he can't relate with. Well, don't listen to me. I'm not telling you my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not sufficient for you. This is the word of God to you. The Savior, the Savior who pled in the garden the same way that Paul cries out three times, Father, if there's any other way, remove this cup of suffering from me. But the Father said, No. You will go to the cross. This is the Savior who is speaking to you this morning. The one who knows what it's like to endure suffering of the greatest kind and yet endure it under the hand of the grace of God. You see, so many of us, we think about grace only in the past tense. We think only of grace in terms of the pardon from our sin. But if we read in the Bible, we see grace is not merely about God's pardon from sin, but it's His power to live. It's not just a grace that takes away the penalty of the sin. It's a grace that enables us and empowers us to live in a world full of sin and full of suffering. Grace that doesn't just give us what we need to survive, but grace that gives us what we need to thrive. To not just deal with our weakness, but to actually live through our weakness. But so many of us just want to escape. I mean, you think of the classic parents, pointing at myself. You know, my kids just really don't do good with me. So what's the answer? I need to send them to somebody else. Right? Hey, that's how I think. But you know there's another option, don't you? When you have problems, instead of saying, let's get rid of the change the circumstance, is to actually fight with all that you have to go through the circumstance. To think that deliverance isn't always going around the problem, but actually embracing it and growing through it. And you think, yeah, that sounds all well and good, but I can't pull that off. I don't have the power to do that. Do you know how weak I am? Do you know how bad my temper is? Do you know how frail that I am in an emotional capacity? Do you just know physically that I could not bear up and under actually walking through my problem? And what God says to you, that's exactly where I want you. Because it is only as you walk through your weakness and with your weakness that you will actually realize that my grace isn't just church talk, but it is enough to get you through every day of the week. His grace is enough. You see, so many of you in here probably have never experienced God's grace in the middle of weakness. And no wonder... You don't think he's relevant on an everyday basis. Because what we think is the only way that we have forward is escape when the way forward is grace. You know, I never knew my parents' love and what they would do for me like I did those days when I was little and I'd have to go to the hospital. And to see my dad sit by the bed when I was getting those IVs, and you know they never hit it the first time, right? No offense to any nurses. 
but it seemed like it always be the case for me. I know some of them can, but anyway. And I remember my dad, because we'd watched Army movies, I guess they bit the bullet in the movies. So you'd have those popsicle sticks in the room. And he'd give me a popsicle stick, and he'd say, bite the bullet. And so I'd bite on that popsicle stick every time they stuck me with that needle. You know, I, I would have never knew my dad loved me like that if I wouldn't have needed to be in that hospital sick on that bed. When I was a teenager and had my heart broke, and to have my parents sit and talk with me through it, and think, wow, I really think they're pretty irrelevant and out of touch with my life. But they sure do love me. I wouldn't have knew that had I not went through that heartbreak. To leave from small town Georgia and go to Chicago to, to college and get up there and be so homesick, cry myself to sleep some nights, and to have them call and write letters and think, wow, their love is not going to quit or give up on me. Were it not for the hospitals, the heartbreaks, and the homesick, I would never have known the lengths and depths of their love. And you may be saying this morning, I wish I had a family like that. Well, the good news is you do have a father like that. His love never fails, never runs out, it never gives out up on you. He wants to show you that. He wants to show you that He is not just some fairy tale up in the sky who gives you some sort of get out of hell card. He wants to show you that His grace is enough to change you, to be the power in your weakness. He says, my power is made perfect. What does that mean, made perfect? It's made real. It's made real. If Paul always had it together, if he was Mr. Strong, then he would never know God's power. He would just know his power. And his power ultimately could produce nothing that mattered for eternity. And the same is true of us. God wants to change us from the inside out. We know the song Amazing Grace. But there's another song by the same writer, John Newton. It's called I Ask the Lord. I want you to listen to these words as we think about this text. The fact that how God doesn't seek to just work around our problems, but work through them. He says this, I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace might more of His salvation know and seek more earnestly His face. T'was He who taught me thus to pray, and He, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way that almost drove me to despair. I hope that in some favored hour, at once He'd answer my request, and by His love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand, he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. He crossed all the fair designs I schemed. Seemed like he just crushed my dreams. 
He blasted my gourds and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue that thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. Now listen to this conclusion. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me. God is not up in heaven cruelly trying to figure out a way to toy with your life. He wants to give you better than anything you could imagine. And the only way that He can break us fallen, selfish, proud, all about me people is get us to the point to where we say, I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. The only way He can take those who are defensive and so easily offended and make them approachable and open, take those who want to just be right all the time and make them willing to listen, to take those who are guarded and protective about their imperfections and make them open and disclosing is through getting us to the point of where we realize that He is our only hope. And if He doesn't give us the power to get through the situation, we will not make it. God does beautiful things through broken people when we embrace our weakness, when we experience His grace. But we see here as our text comes to the end, when we exalt in Jesus through vulnerability. Notice the end of verse 9 and verse 10. Therefore... Because I've experienced His grace is enough, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Paul will say, unlike many of us, I am weak. How many of us are willing to say that in our homes, in our own hearts, in our missional communities, in our fight clubs? I am weak. Paul said he will boast in his weaknesses, not his heavenly visit, not his resume, but his weakness. And not because he is some sort of fatalist saying, well, because just what will be will be, but because he is living by faith in a God who is up to good things through his weakness. And because in the middle of this weakness he is experiencing a personal relationship with Jesus like never before. He says the power of Christ rests on him. This imagery of the glory of God resting on his people, it comes from the Old Testament. When the glory of God would rest upon the tabernacle, would rest upon the temple, as God's people humbly came to him and said, You are our everything. Sometimes we may wonder, this used to be just a big complexity in my mind. Why would people pray, Oh Lord, we just pray that you would be with us today. Or, Lord, would you just be with so-and-so? And I was always thinking, isn't he everywhere? What kind of waste of a prayer is that? God be somewhere. But as we see, as we look throughout the Scriptures, there, there is a real sense God is everywhere, and then he's somewhere. That is, his manifest, experienced 
presence falls upon people in their lives to give them an experience of His grace and an empowerment to live out the life He's called them to live. And Paul is saying, you know where I experienced that personal presence of the glory of the risen Christ. It wasn't when I had it all together, but it was when I realized I needed Him like never before. And it's not that God is needy and manipulating us for our attention. I better cause something wrong to go in their life because I'm getting lonely. He's not like the doctor who prescribes you a medicine that has a side effect that's going to bring you back so he can get more money out of you. No, he's a loving father who knows that if you stray too far from him, you are going to fall into pride, into foolishness, and into wrecking your life. The weaknesses that he sins are not manipulations. They are protections to give us better. Not only personal intimacy, but powerful ministry. How many of us in here think, if I just didn't have this weakness, I could be the best spouse in the world. I could be the best, I could do more ministry than anybody else. Well, think about Paul. Imagine. Hello, Jesus. I'm Paul. You think I can plant churches now? Just imagine what I could do if you would take away this thorn in my flesh. Imagine how much more useful I could be, Jesus, if you would just answer my prayer and heal me of this. Do you ever feel like that? God, if you would just take this away, I could be really awesome. The question is, awesome at what? Doing stuff that just promotes you? Awesome at being proud? And you're like, well, I wouldn't be. Well, you just look back at your track record and see if you think that's a fair assessment of yourself. You see, God is not in the business of supporting us in our self-promotion because nobody needs us. They need Jesus. This is why God uses the weak and the broken. And this is why we must embrace faithfulness through weakness for His glory. One writer says we're constantly reminded, reminded that the only kind of people that God uses are those who do not depend on their own gifts and resources. Moses stuttered. David's armor didn't fit. John Mark deserted Paul. Timothy had ulcers. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Amos' only training was farming. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair, murdered, and abused power. Naomi was a widow. Paul was a persecutor. Moses was a murderer. Jonah ran from God's will. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was burned out. John the Baptist was a loudmouth. Martha was a worrywart. Noah got drunk. Solomon was too rich. And Jesus was too poor. Abraham was too old. David was too young. Peter was afraid of death. And Lazarus was dead. <laughs> and through all of these people, the glory of God shone in this world. 
Where are you on that list? And who in this room this morning is saying, God can't use me because of my weakness, when that is precisely the reason He can use you? Some of you in here who may feel like, you know what, I might lead a missional community if I just was a better teacher, or if I was better at this, or if I was better at that. And it may be your very weakness is not what disqualifies you. It's what qualifies you. Because you will have to be completely and totally dependent on Jesus every day. Imagine that. There's some of you in here who, well, I would really step up and lead in my home as a man. But you know what? I just can't do that because of my weakness. When what God is calling you to do is just to be open and honest about that weakness with your spouse and say, honey, I know that I, I really stink in that area. And I know I need a lot of help. But I'm going to quit depending on me and my power and now on the power of Christ. One translator of this text calls it, translates it this way. He said, to keep me from becoming proud the Lord gave me the gift of a handicap. The gift of a handicap. So that I would continually depend on God's grace. There's a story of a a man. This is make-believe. You'll see, obviously. He carried water in India, and he used two large pots for his task. And so he had this pole that went across his back, and on one side was this pot. It was a perfect pot without blemish. And there was this other side, it was a pot, but this pot had a crack in it. And every day he would carry the water from the village, from, from down to where the river, to back to his home. And the perfect pot always arrived with the water totally, totally all in there. And the crack pot... It was always half full. For two years, the water carrier made this same journey, and the perfect pot became proud of its accomplishments, but the cracked pot was ashamed, ashamed of its imperfection and miserable that it was able only to accomplish half of what it had been made to do. Finally, one day by the stream, the cracked pot spoke to his owner about his bitter failure. I'm ashamed of myself. I want to apologize that I've only been able to deliver half of the water to your house. There's this crack in my side which causes it to leak out. Because of my flaws, you don't get full value from your efforts. And the water carrier replied, smiling. As we return to the master's house today, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. On that trip from the stream, the crack pot looked around. Did you notice there are flowers only on your side of the path, but not on the other pot's side? The water carrier commented. That's because I've always known about your flaw, and I took advantage of it. I planted seeds on your side of the path, and every day while we passed these spots, you watered them. Now for two years, I've been able to pick those beautiful flowers to decorate my master's table Without you being just the way you are, I would not have this beauty to grace his house. That's the way that God works. God uses cracked pots to accomplish his purpose 
so that all the glory goes to Him and we experience His grace. God wants to use us. We've got to embrace our weakness and live out of brokenness. We've got to experience God's grace and live in daily dependence. And we've got to exalt in Jesus and say, I'm content. Insults, hardships, persecutions, calamity, weaknesses. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your love in our lives that is unfailing. We thank you that you take the things in our lives that we think are hindrances to progress, to ministry, to life, and you are at work to do beautiful things through them if we will only quit looking to ourselves for the power and depend on your grace. Would you do that work in our church? Would you help us to live in brokenness and vulnerability so that all the glory goes to you? In Jesus' name, amen.